0: all right michelle we're here to do the final episode of season three on halt and catch fire how are you doing tonight
1: i'm doing great
0: we're actually re- re- we're re-recording this because we value our audience so much.
1: Yeah, and evidently I, I messed it up pretty bad the first uh, time. I
0: didn't so. mess it up, but we had some glitches on our three hundred nine. So let's, instead of trying to apologize for it and just post it, I thought we'd just redo this one and get it yeah. get it right.
1: Well, yeah, I mean it's the last episode. I mean, and it's the you know the 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 very finale of of the of season three there's only going to be one more finale to this period so i think it deserves it
0: oh i heard they're breaking the final season up into two parts
1: are they really
0: no i'm kidding No. Oh. <laughs> so michelle we have a super fan in west midlands uk the lee beat and the lee beat family
1: I just absolutely love it when when we have people that take their time to write us and let us know that they're listening and that they enjoy this. I mean, it just makes all of this work and and all of this effort that you and I go to to work schedules and stuff. It just makes it all so worth it. I really appreciate
0: that. Well, it's fun to every now and then pick somebody out and just say hi to them. They actually said, "Hey, could you say hi to us on the on air?" So, hey to Lee, beat and your family. Thank you for listening to us and. The West Midlands is—it's uh, actually part of this story, kind of, because one of the characters we're going to talk about a little bit later in history was from London.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That's that is cool. And yeah, thanks, Beats family, for for listening and for writing in. We we love that.
0: All right, Michelle. So Finale here, three ten. Next, next is that computer that the uh, Steve Jobs invented with his uh, company after Apple, and then he went back to Apple after. After next, next computers.
1: Okay, so Steve Jobs worked for Apple, and then he did he get fired from Apple? Was yep. that the story?
0: And Steve then Jobs he... worked for Apple, got fired, went and started another company called Next Computers. Made a super high end computer. I think I think we'll talk about it in this episode where it's like seven thousand dollars. Right. Super high end, super high quality computer made out of magnesium, and you know, super efficient, really powerful computer.
1: Yeah, didn't that, they say it was like a fifty-six k or something?
0: Well, whatever. But, I mean, Powerful in
1: eighty-eight for, or whatever, right? That's that's so interesting.
0: I actually have it here. If you, if you really care, um, the next experienced relatively limited sales with estimates of fifty thousand units shipped. Their object-oriented next-step operating system and development environment were highly influential the next computer and next step operating system where the platform used to create the World Wide Web, Michelle, as well as for creating the first app store, which was originally demonstrated to Steve Jobs in 1993. So he, uh, he put some work into this really high-end computer. They didn't s- sell very many of them, but it was pretty instrumental in the creation of the World Wide Web.
1: And I think it's kind of interesting to note here that that was three full years after what we're talking about in this episode.
0: So, so, so to finish off the history, Apple fired Jobs, uh, then hired him back, and then later purchased Next in 1997 for $420 million and 1.5 million shares of Apple stock. So as part of that agreement, Steve Jobs, chairman and CEO of Next Software, returned to Apple, the company he had co-founded in 1976.
1: Oh, wow. Was it 76?
0: Well, that's when he started Apple.
1: That's crazy. Okay, that's a long time ago.
0: Steve Jobs, the founder, promised to merge software from Next with Apple's hardware platforms, eventually resulting in OS X, which we now know as operating system X or OS X, now named Mac or I'm sorry, Mac OS, iOS, and Watch OS and TV OS. So all these different operating systems were created by Jobs when he was with Next.
1: That's crazy. Good stuff.
0: All right, so to start it off, Donna sets up the day at the uh Old Mutiny Warehouse or not warehouse, Old Mutiny b- site of business, HQ. Yeah,
1: that's right. Mnet.
0: She's doing her domestic things, setting up the <laughs> coffee and bagels and stuff.
1: Yeah, with the with the rusty water because the building hasn't been used in so long and I think they've made a point that the building was uh Kind of dilapidated from the from the uh, earthquake, right? The '89 earthquake.
0: Yeah. So the 1989 earthquake shook that building to its core. Yeah. There's a couple scenes of this of this episode where you can see outside and you can see like the other buildings around it, and they look pretty ratty. They look pretty rickety.
1: Yeah, I don't know that they showed us that before when Mutiny was there, but I did notice that this time. Like, they showed us the parking lot and stuff. We got to see, like, a lot of the outside of the building, and it didn't look like, you know, the nicest place.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they didn't show us much. They There was one episode where they were having kind of a barbecue, and they were kind of standing on that metal stairway on the outside. Right, like show right. people out in the yard of the building and stuff, but not so much in the daylight like this, all right, so Donna's setting up the day doing i I think I called her the glue. she's the glue again, she's keeping everything domestically together so that the meeting goes smoothly.
1: yeah, yeah, she's the mom, she's taking this this mom role again. I'm gonna get up and make the coffee and the breakfast and see if I can get everybody together on the same page. Oh,
0: well, nobody else is gonna do it
1: <laughs> they're, they're not. <laughs>
0: So Joe shows up first at 9 o'clock. He's kind of friendly. Hello, it's 9 o'clock, but it's just the two of them. And he actually apologized for being a little late. And uh, Joe's first comment, Michelle, is is she here yet? He's like kind of excited to check in and see if Cameron's there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Joe's um, – he's really liking Cameron in this episode. I think he's – I like seeing – I feel bad saying it, but I like seeing Infatuated Joe. It's a different character.
0: Yeah, you just like seeing sappy lovey-dovey scenes.
1: Well, yeah. You do too, right?
0: Well, not as much as you. No,
1: you don't. You don't. You, you, you know, always vote against them. You always, I don't know think something terrible is going to happen or something's not going to get together. Well, I want
0: to see the, I want to see the quality of the story stay intact and not just fall to the whims of love. People falling in love. Oh, they oh, should be together. Like who cares? What's more
1: important?
0: The, uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So Joe shows, or Joe asks if if uh, is she here yet. And Donna says, well, her plane has arrived. So she's like hinting Cameron's going to be there pretty soon. Joe sees the Mnet sign and asks, you know, what's Mnet? And Donna answers, the end of Mutiny, we held on to the lease after the earthquake. So, Michelle, I think you said it wasn't just the second version of Mutiny. It was one of the ending versions of Mutiny. Like, they tried and failed, tried and failed a few times, and this the Mnet was the final, final version.
1: That's just how I took it, based on what they were saying. They said it was, you know, like, the final change trying to save Mutiny. So, now, does this mean Mutiny went down, it does, right? Yep. I mean, so the stock became worthless? Is that what that means?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, actually, you know, we lost in some of our glitches of the last episode, Michelle. We should, we should do this. So let's do this. We lost a little bit of talk that we had about the interview with the Christophers. So let me grab that here. Sorry. It's Okay. So the two showrunners were interviewed, and they gave away some of their secrets. Uh, They asked Christopher Cantwell, uh, what did you learn, or when did you learn the show had been renewed and set for a fourth season? And did it have any effect on how you planned the end of the third season? Uh, God, I hope we didn't, I hope we forgot this and it's not in in 309 as well, but if it is, you get a little bit of a repeat well, and he right. says, no, it did not because we learned about the renewal only yesterday afternoon. And he kind of laughed. So it was just at the very end when most of us found out it got renewed. He only found out like 45 minutes before that.
1: I can't even imagine these people trying to write and direct and make sense out of all these stories Knowing or not not knowing that they may have to end it, like in just just one or two more episodes. They have to find a an, an end every time if it's not some some breakout show like maybe Breaking Bad or something like that that knew that it was going to go on for a x amount of time. I I just think it's incredible the way that they write. And I know I probably said on the last episode, episode eight was probably my favorite episode ever of Halt. I just thought that was just the best episode. Nine, I was not overly fond of. I didn't like the time jump so much and all that, Um, but 10 sucked me right back in. It really, really gave me the passion again for it, Um, and I completely understand why they would have had to have done that time jump not knowing that if it were going to be renewed again.
0: Well, I think we talked about that too. At the end of three Oh eight, we said, there's no, there's not any next ons that are revealing anything there. maybe there weren't even any next on coming up there next wasn't. because mm-hmm. there was a time jump and that would have given away too much. It would have been too right. easy to see.
1: Right. Right. With Joni suddenly going from 10 to, you know, teenager.
0: So back to, back to this interview with Christopher Cantwell, it's the AV club, by the way, that interviews him. And he says a little bit more. He says, uh, um, I was, he's talking kind of about how these last two episodes have kind of slow, quiet endings. So to your point about what what happened to Mutiny, he says, uh, We don't get to see the last days of the Clarks' marriage, nor do we get to see the last days of Mutiny. It was whittled down by the market and just didn't win out. But it had this reboot attempt in Mnet that also failed. So there was something elegant and evocative about making those choices that, in a perfect world, it might have been interesting to see. But at the same time, we're happy with the execution of uh, Episodes 9 and 10 in terms of suggesting that those things, um, suggesting those things without actually getting to see them. So we didn't see the end of the Clark's marriage by having a big blow up or a fight or the final, final nail in the coffin. And we also didn't see the end of Mutiny, really. We just kind of, I guess we know that it ended because its sign is taken down and it's no longer there.
1: Right. And the Goof Troop's gone and everything. We know it's not there
0: yeah so that was that was cool and I think a lot of times showrunners have to do that they not only have to bring it into kind of an elegant landing hoping they get a new season but if they don't it has to look somewhat good that it has some sort of an ending
1: oh I know yeah yeah so many shows before have not done that and particularly the shows that just kind of went on and on and and they would just like end in the middle of stuff I'm remembering one but I can't remember the name of it right now but but I mean it was it was terrible the way it ended because it ended almost with with a whole storyline ahead of you and then it was just canceled and and it, it was I mean, it's sad. Nobody's going to want to go back and watch that again.
0: Well, because... Deadwood did that and Lost. He could probably say did that. but the, And they also, though, the tricky part is they don't have to bring it in for a landing as an ending. They have to leave it somewhat open in case it gets renewed. They can't just have, like, okay, everybody died in the earthquake. See you later. Thanks for watching. Because right. what if they get a season four? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it's a... but,
1: but it's troubling, though, because I would have loved to have seen what went on with Donna and Gordon. I would have liked to have seen that. And I would have liked to have seen the end of mutiny and where the goof troop went and where all that stuff happened. But I completely understand that they did what they had to do. And I think they did it very elegantly.
0: So anyway, that's how Donna describes the Mnet sign or what Mnet meant, what that company was. The end of mutiny, we held on to the lease of this building after the earthquake. And like we said, that earthquake was the, Earthquake that happened during the Giants World Series in Candlestick Park in 1989.
1: Were you in California then?
0: I just moved there like two weeks after that. That birthday, that earthquake was on my birthday of 1989, <laughs> oh, October 17th, I'll remember it. So uh, both Joe and Donna seemed pretty nervous about Cameron coming to this meeting, Michelle. Uh, and Joe asked her why she wanted to meet at the old mutiny site. And Donna doesn't really give him a a definitive answer. she just says maybe she wanted to see it again. I don't know. Um, and so at the time we I guess we find out later why she holds it there. but I wondered, does she want to see them again, or does she want to see Joe again? You know, why does Cameron want to have this meeting at the old the old hq of her of her heartthrob company
1: yeah I, I was kind of surprised that she agreed to the meeting because she she went back to Tokyo, right? And then she's flying back in for this meeting. She wasn't flying in from well no, no, she didn't just fly in from Nevada. So we don't even know exactly how much time has passed since Donna spoke with her about this at Comdex, right?
0: Well There is a point in this episode where Donna and Cameron are talking and Donna says, yeah, we did schedule around you and Tom going to Texas and you doing something with Atari. And, you know, we scheduled this all around your schedule. Right. So she is there for other things or she at least makes it sound like she's there for other things. Right. Um, So anyway, they kind of wonder why they set. she wanted it set at that site, which is interesting.
1: Right, right, um, that they brought it up ahead of time, and then it actually gets answered later on.
0: Well, it's good, too, because it makes us wonder, yeah, why? I wonder why she did want it there, because the building is kind of rotted out, and this is kind of not the gre- greatest place for a meeting.
1: No, but you can also think of something positive, because, I mean, Cameron, that's where mutiny exploded, and that was where, you know, her her baby grew up, for lack of knowing how to put that better. So I can understand why she would feel sentimental toward the place.
0: It's where her baby course, died, though, too.
1: Well, okay, you're right. You're absolutely right. But 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 she has, she has feelings toward that place it's where she saw everything happen but yeah see i i wasn't even thinking about that until she said it were you did you think it had a negative connotation
0: no i didn't even know it was mutiny i just thought oh they're in Mm -hmm. some old building i wonder what that and you know i guess you figure out it's mutiny if nobody told you but yeah so joe apologizes to donna for inviting gordon and joe and gordon are apart i guess they haven't seen each other in a while and he apologizes for the divorce like you do when you don't really have to apologize to somebody but you're just kind of you feel sad for them like God. oh i'm sorry it's like not really your fault you don't have to apologize uh but they're excited they're uh, Don, uh donna and joe say to each other yeah we're i'm excited about this they're both Don, it's donna's plan to get people together and they both express this excitement so yeah, Gordon, I think
1: they're excited about about what's going on, and 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 um, Joe, as soon as Joe read it, as soon as he picked it up off of his fax machine, he is excited. I don't even think they know what they're excited about at this point. Do you?
0: Yeah, I do. They're the two most. They see the farthest into the future, Donna and Joe, so they know what they should be excited about. And we'll see some of these other people at this meeting are like. Why are we even doing this? This It's stupid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they've got it fleshed out yet. I just think that they know that it's something and it's exciting.
0: I think Joe does. I think he's got it pretty fleshed out.
1: Well, he should have told them uh, day one if he really knew.
0: Well, he had the the stage to tell them. That's the whole point. Anyway, he, he apologizes about them being divorced and they're excited. Then Gordon shows up. And asked right away, is Cameron here? So he's excited that Cameron's going to be there. And it's been two Aprils ago since he saw Joe. And he says, Joe, you look good. And um, then Donna and Gordon excuse themselves and go talk privately. And Gordon tells Donna that he makes it clear that it's her thing. He's not there to take any control or do anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, I don't know if it even matters, but they all seemed really gung-ho about Cameron and Cameron being there do you think this could not have been done without Cameron
0: Mm, well probably but not as well
1: I'm just kind of curious about that because we didn't really see that side of Cameron so much at the end of Mutiny I mean she was obviously like like the genius for the games and stuff like that. But Donna was the visionary for the company and actually ahead of her time as it turned out. But I just wondered why, why Cameron and why this kind of seemed to hinge on Cameron and what Cameron thought.
0: Well, I don't know if I'd call Donna the visionary of mutiny. I think Donna made the mistake. She tried to see the future and made the wrong call.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, obviously, but she was the visionary on it. Cameron wanted to hold her back, and turns out that was probably the right thing to do. But I think we all agreed, didn't we, that they should move forward with this IPO. When they I would did have it. moved I mean,
0: forward, I mean, but people make mistakes all the time. Right? I would have moved forward. I would have taken it the just, money.
1: It it seemed like the right thing to do, and then. Cameron, it felt like Cameron was holding them back. I don't think Cameron had any kind of deep insight that that it wasn't going to work at that time. Do you?
0: Well, I, I mean, we talked about this, too, a little bit, that sometimes people are wrong for the right reason and right for the wrong reason. <laughs> well. And Cameron that's... was kind of right for the wrong reason, like not wanting her baby to go away from her yet. But she, right. it turns out, was kind of right that it was too soon for the world right. to grasp it. Right. Um, that's a good question, though, is could this could this new company happen without Cameron? I think Joe is more important than Cameron still. Um, and probably Cameron would be second. And Donna is kind of the glue, so she's important. But she's not like the – I mean, they're all kind of important. That's the interesting thing is they're a team.
1: Well, I think Gordon's important, too, because Gordon is a lot like Cameron. Gordon is like a cross between Cameron and Joe. Uh, or not really like Joe, but like like a connection, like a like a bridge between Cameron and Joe is how I always saw him. Um, but I think Gordon can can handle the technical parts of this. Not not just Cameron, of course. You know, if Ryan were still around, then you would think if they couldn't get Cameron, they could get Ryan. Any of these brilliant visionaries I would picture could handle what they're talking about. But well, it seems like they just want Cameron. I mean, it's almost like Donna's ready to fold up shop if Cameron is not going to gonna come on, come on board. Cameron is the meeting. prime
0: target of Donna. We're going to find right. out in this. Not Joe. Joe is just a tool she uses to get Cameron there. And yeah, she doesn't care too much Joe about
1: Joe there at all.
0: No, she doesn't care too much about um, Gordon too much either. Broad. And Boz isn't there. I mean it, it's interesting to see how this team uh, this team is put together and how it suffers from the lack of some of the players. Because they're gonna they're gonna come to a point pretty quick in here when they could have used Boz pretty he would have been pretty <laughs> helpful. Sure. Um all right, so Cameron does arrive now and she sees Joe and then all this undercurrent of the anticipatory music comes in. It's just really cool kinda to see that kind of amp up a little bit like you sit up a little straighter in your chair and the music gets a little more bright and you know everything kind of gets a little bit more exciting um, and she's then Tom got the shows big, up big
1: Cameron uh, she's got the big oh no and we talked about this the first time we recorded it I think Cameron and I don't think you necessarily agree but I think Cameron was terrified every time she was around Joe I think she was terrified that her body language was going to give away what happened or Joe was going to say what had happened, because Joe does not care. Joe, he he just didn't care. So Cameron was very uncomfortable after her last interlude with Joe, and then having him in this situation with her husband, I felt like.
0: Well, so just to kind of recreate the setting here. So Donna and Gordon have excused themselves to another room, leaving Joe all alone in the big central room of the mutiny room. So when Cameron shows up, she sees Joe kind of by himself with this. And then, like I said, the undercurrent of this anticipatory music because it's Cameron and Joe together. Right. And then Tom comes in right after Cameron. and It's like, wah, wah, kind of (laughs) ruins the whole moment. (laughs) And then Gordon and Donna come back in from that other room and they kind of, so they kind of invade the Cameron Joe special, special little scene there.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, they do. All right. So then we got the credits. So that took us all the way up to the credits. We come back and they start their meeting, Michelle. And their meeting is not what is the World Wide Web, but what can it do? So Donna tries to start explaining it with the whiteboard and puts up a bunch of blocks representing Prodigy, CompuServe, AOL, one other company. And Gordon makes fun of the name AOL and starts singing Neil Diamond Coming to America.
1: Yeah, I was I was a little annoyed but a little charmed by by Gordon with his uh bursts of song.
0: Yep, it was this. corny, pretty corny. <laughs>
1: I know, I know, but who doesn't love the, the corny geeky guys?
0: So Donna says instead of all these walled gardens of these separate companies, the World Wide Web could be a network of networks, and she draws the lines from the four squares down to the bigger square on the bottom, right. and connects all the blocks. And then Tom gives his opinion um, about it all. But before, Tom
1: wasn't even asked. No, can he's we just point that out. He's 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 a guest.
0: Well, we talked about the couples in the room, and the couples are, are interesting because the couples are Gordon with his tired cliches that Donna sighs about, distracted, like, oh, God, he's singing Coming to America. <laughs> so it's Gordon and Donna. Then the other couples, Tom and Cameron, they're together, but they really aren't that together. I think Cameron's kind of living a lie with her marriage to Tom. And then Joe and Cameron, and they uh, they are the most interesting couple, I think, and we don't know what's going to happen to them, but that they're the two that prompt the most questions about the future.
1: Well, definitely.
0: So uh, so Donna gets it wrong with her line saying this could be a wall, instead of walled gardens, could be network and networks. Tom gets it wrong, but Joe paints it perfectly. Joe puts the big thing, the big block around everything, and says the web runs everything and right now we have a Tower of Babel, and the web is the Rosetta Stone, the doorway to all the answers. Um, then Gordon comes in. Interestingly, they don't make Joe last with this, like, real elegant, correct answer of what the web really is. They make Gordon last. And Gordon puts a tiny little square in the bottom of the whiteboard and says, nope, I see it here. It's a desert island. <laughs> he kind of- yeah.
1: He was very negative, I thought. But I I liked his explanation of that later on in this episode when he tells Donna that he's he's in either way. And she said, well, I I didn't I didn't get that from you. And he said, well, I I had to to say what I said about it being ahead of its time. That was like the that's not what he said, but like the moral thing to do, the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, like the safety valve, like somebody's got to say it. Maybe we're a little too early for this.
1: Well, especially considering what's just happened because they were too early.
0: Yeah, I don't know. You got to go kind of balls to the wall, hellfire, full speed ahead, like Joe and this kind of stuff. You can't be careful. And Gordon's too careful.
1: He's careful and then he's not careful. It's like hes he just has whims about it. I think he kind of wants everybody else to talk him into it or something because he ends up telling Joe you got to go for it and he tells Donna I'm in on it but it's like he's got to be the naysayer too. I don't know. So it's kind of an odd position I think that he puts himself in.
0: Well, the only one that hasn't spoken at this point is Cameron and so Donna says, "Cameron, what do you think?" and Cameron says, "It needs content. You can't have a giant amphitheater theater stadium without a good band in it." Which is kind of right, kind of wrong. It doesn't really apply here. Um, and Gordon does say, we're too early. It's an academic Petri dish. And then they all kind of start to argue and they break for lunch at
1: 10.30. Yep.
0: <laughs> and Donna looks super discouraged. Her idea for this great meeting of the minds meeting and looks like it's not going to work out.
1: But see, Cameron is a visionary with stuff like that, but she she really didn't... She didn't get it right there. She she pictured it like a like something they had to feel correct like 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 a game sort of you create the space and then you fill the space with stuff not realizing that everybody else would fill the space once the space was there and there was like a pathway
0: yeah, I'm kind of biting my tongue because Joe has such an elegant answer coming up really soon about what, Right. like, don't try to figure out what it is. Just let the, like you say, let the world fill in the spaces because that's where all the genius will come from. Right. Just provide the opportunity for people to connect and don't worry what they even make.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So, um, but I, my last note on this little meeting is they needed boss. He needed to be there to kind of keep the team pumped up. When they all left for lunch. And they didn't know if they are coming back after lunch, I don't think. But they end up th- that they do.
1: Well, yeah, Donna said they're not coming back. She didn't think Cameron was going to come back. Well, no, I think that was the next day. But, yeah, yeah, Donna wasn't very hopeful.
0: Yeah, we talked about this last time. I think it might be this time. I think they might think that's the end of this right here. Right here and now. They're all breaking up. But, anyway, Cameron walks into Boz's old office, uh, and we know it's his office because he has the steer horns up on the on the um, mantle over the door. Right. And Donna greets her. Donna tries to be pretty friendly, but Cameron's just really, really pretty cruel to Donna. And then that leaves Joe and Tom behind. And Joe is super cold to Tom, kind of cool to him. Uh, cool meaning indifferent. And I thought Tom was measuring Joe like almost taunting him to get some sort of a reaction out of him. you taunting him with Ryan and stuff.
1: Yeah, I think, I think Tom definitely felt something between Joe and Cameron. I think he had felt it before way back in the Texas mutiny house. But I think he felt it there, and I think he didn't know what to make of it, but he knew there was something.
0: Yeah, we had disagreed on this, Michelle. You think... Joe's being literal, and I think he's just taunting Tom because Joe says it was a really difficult time, but I'm doing so much better since I reconnected with your wife. And I think he's taunting Tom with this. Oh,
1: I think he's taunting Tom, too. I think he's definitely we're not disagreeing on that. I think he's he's just like dancing on the edge. I think he I think Joe wants Tom to know what what went on. I don't think Joe cares at all if Tom knows. And that's why I think Cameron is so scared of Joe and Tom being together.
0: Revealing too much. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Joe's like going to, I don't think Joe's like thinking I can hardly wait to tell this guy that I screwed his wife or whatever. No,
1: no, I I don't think,
0: I think he's taunting him. He's like, if you're going to fuck with me, dude, I'm going to fuck with you. And, he, you know, he's taunting him about Ryan. Joe steps right back up, you know, right back in his face. I, know, I think don't, Joe I don't...
1: wants Cameron. And anything Joe wants, Joe goes for. And I don't think he cares what he has to do. Yeah, but
0: not caring it. and having a pointed goal of making him understand that he was after his wife is, are two different things.
1: Well, it could be two different things, or it could be that it's the same thing, that making the pointed goal that he's after his wife could cause a rift between Cameron and Tom. Therefore, he gets Cameron.
0: Yeah, I don't think Joe worries about what Tom thinks, so I don't think he's trying to plant any seeds. I think he's just being a dick to him because Tom's being a dick to him first.
1: Maybe, maybe. I don't think he was ever nice to Tom.
0: Well, I think it, so we, what? we you're, saw him you introducing these side elements. I don't think Joe cares what Tom thinks at all. If he wants to go after Cameron, he's going to go after her.
1: Exactly. He's not going to exactly. win
0: her over because he plants this little seed of doubt in Tom's mind by cute little statements like this.
1: No, absolutely. But that's what I mean. I just don't think he cares. I think he'll say whatever he has to say and, you know, damn the consequences of it. Because he de- he doesn't care, and I think Tom senses that, and that's why Tom's kind of poking at him the whole time.
0: So but- we go we go to a commercial and come right back. And Cameron fires a rubber band right into the sleeping Gordon's <laughs> face, just like the Les and the Lev and the Goof Troop guys would have done. Yep. Pretty mean. Yep. It was pretty mean. It was like that must have hurt. And Gordon was asleep or unconscious from his. Brain tumor or whatever he's got.
1: <laughs> Mike. Yeah, I think he was dozing. I don't think he was asleep from a brain tumor. But um but yeah, I mean, yeah, that that was pretty mean. So, so I'm assuming this is after lunch, right? They carb up on the pizza and they, you know, it makes Gordon tired, right?
0: Yeah, it could be. Too many carbs. Yeah. yeah. Joe relates his trip to Paris. This is where it gets good because this is where we learn a lot of the stuff. So Joe relates his trip to Paris where he went to some hypertext conference where Apple and Xerox were in attendance. And Tom taunts him some more like, oh, I'm surprised. Uh, or Joe, I guess, taunts Tom. I'm surprised you missed it. And Tom is like smart ass, like, yeah, me too. Like, who wouldn't want to go to a hypertext conference? Right. But um, so some interesting stuff happened at this conference, Michelle. Some interesting things in history Because Joe relates this guy, Tim Berners Lee, and Berners Lee is a hyphenated last name of this Londoner, this UK guy, uh, who was essentially the inventor of the internet. Tim Berners Lee, born in London, his parents worked on one of the first commercially built computers called the Ferrante Mark One. And this guy was so prolific in his career, he was knighted by the Queen in two thousand four. But um, back around the days of this story with uh, the with, with, uh, Halt and Catch Fire people, he was a contractor to CERN, and he developed Hypertext to help them share information among fellow researchers that were at the CERN conference. So CERN has nothing to do with computers. They were like some some nuclear organization of research where they went and put their heads together and developed nuclear theory and physics and all that kind of stuff. But they needed to share a lot of intimate information that was pretty complicated. So this guy Berners-Lee made a network so they could share all their information together. Okay. And so CERN became the biggest internet node in Europe at the time, at the time. And he is also connected to Next because his boss had bought a Nex computer and given it to Tim Berners-Lee to use. And he used, Tim used this powerful computer To create the code that allowed users to write into the net, instead of just surfing around and looking at stuff, they were able to write and change the documents in it. And he used that Next computer for that. And that's how Next got involved, and that's how Tim Berners-Lee is involved in uh, Joe's, Joe's description here of this conference he went to.
1: And this has already happened As this meeting's going on, correct? Because this is where Joe got the information.
0: Yeah, Joe returns from the conference with a developer's kit that was handed out, which essentially was all the hypertext protocol, all the code that Berners-Lee created to share all these documents. He gave it away for free, and Joe picked it all up, all the code, the markup language, the protocol for the servers to talk to each other, uh, how you can create pages of information, even media and this is what Joe ends up writing on the whiteboard in one of right. the next scenes. So,
1: right. But Joe was saying that it wasn't even a popular thing, right? Didn't he make that comment that that um, that nobody even seemed that interested in what this guy was doing, Burnersley?
0: Yeah, he says I cornered the guys at CERN. Nobody paid any attention to them, and Burnersley just handed out all the information on the HTTP where any computer can become a client to transfer data, and it, it allows for it all to be universal. It can all be freely exchanged. And it's. And by the way, all of this stuff I got, all this markup protocol was free. It's all free. It's shared with everybody. And so Tom chimes up and says, I have a problem with open source. Immediately downplays it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And Cameron says, you do? She's like, she, you know, she just sees him being an ass here, just disagreeing with everything
1: well yeah and I think I had mentioned the first time we did this how that's so hypocritical because that's how he met Cameron not that her software was open source I can't remember if it was or not her game software but he changed her game software and made it better and here he is in this scene talking about how that ruins everything it's I don't know. It's either like he's just being a smart aleck or he's um, gotten too big for his britches, you know, because he's like with Sega now. And he's talking about being pitched all these ridiculous games where people take this code and they do their own thing with it and how they just ruin it and all that. Not remembering that that's what he did or
0: he's just pissing on Joe. He's just pissing on Joe and his idea. He gets yeah. me, pretty mean to him again. Look what happened to Mac, Mac, Macmillan Utility when you did this. Um, but Cameron kind of ignores him and says, well, wait a minute. What if the whole world could work on this together, which essentially is the theory behind open source software.
1: Sure. You get,
0: you get a multiple of all the value of all the people working on it. And um, so Gordon interjects, well, what network does this work on? And remember, there's no www. There's no network, really. It's like, Groups, Small groups of computers at colleges and universities and military sites are connected. Right. But um, there's no real World Wide Web yet.
1: No. Right. Not at all.
0: And then Cameron says the future is just a crappy version of the present. <laughs> and Joe says this future could be different.
1: Yeah. You know what I think about that. You know which future I think he's talking about.
0: Well, yeah. Here you go again. in sappy. Sappy. Your mm-hmm. love, lovey-dovey stuff, which it could yep. be. I mean, he could be meaning that, but I think in this context of where they are in this room with the whiteboard and all these genius people, Joe means the future of the of the internet.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I think he means you can have because Cameron's disillusioned with the future, and I think Joe is telling her she can have a different future. And I think it means a lot. I don't think he's just talking about them. I think he's talking about everything and her passion back, which includes him and creating.
0: Well, it's clearly a double entendre. It's clearly got two meanings. Although I I choose to go with the plot meaning that it has to have something to do with the product they're creating.
1: Yeah, but you're going to have to dig deep and find something romantic in you that that allows you to see that, because that's what makes it so scary and so compelling. Yeah,
0: I, I don't think. have to dig that deep to feel that way. But if it was just like, oh, I'm going to win Cameron over and make these clever lines that, I mean, it's got to have the double meaning to be powerful. Oh, sure,
1: sure. I think it, it's definitely about what they're doing and why they're there and their enthusiasm for this project. But I do think it's also, you know, hey, Cameron, your future can be better.
0: So Joe says this future could be different. And Tom laughs it off and says, how many times are you people going to fall for this? So I guess he could be talking to the room, Michelle, or he could be talking to Cameron. How many times are you going to fall for this? Either way, yeah, it works. Yeah, but look at
1: what Joe's done. How can Tom even – even uh be dismissive of joe how could anybody be dismissive of joe i mean yeah he's They're
0: afraid of him he's afraid yeah. of him
1: okay that's he a would point. love
0: to dismiss him and dismiss his ass right back to japan where he's safe with cameron
1: yeah he
0: knows he's a threat right, right. so maybe yep. you're right that is important that's why the romantic part is important so um cameron tries to leave and she and tom just walk out and joe goes after them and talks to her and says come back tomorrow you flew halfway around the world. we got to see if something's here.
1: Yep. Again, <laughs> we we have to see what's here. I think he's talking about them.
0: And Cameron says, oh, boy, this is a mess.
1: Yeah, talking about more than just the mess of the disagreements between everybody and everything. The, and it is a mess. She does have a mess.
0: And Joe's not afraid of being in messes. He's like... What he wants is his, is his goal, and he'll go after anything and over and through anything in the way between him and his goal.
1: Yeah, and you can't help but, like, admire that, right? And, I mean, it feels really disloyal to even be feeling that way, but you have to just love his enthusiasm for the stuff he's he wants,
0: Well, it's heroic. I mean, everybody loves to see a brave, heroic character in a story, and Joe is, when he's not hateable because he's stomping on people's toes, he's heroically winning new ideas and pushing new projects through and breaking new ground.
1: And they're also making Tom so dislikable. He's dislikable as aggressive Tom, and then he's just as dislikable, or worse, really, when he becomes meek Tom again. So it's so hard to root for Tom in this in any way. Joe, and I know you've never rooted for Tom.
0: But. Joe is my favorite character in this whole series.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mine too.
0: So, I agree. I, you know, you want to, he's like the kind of like Walter White was my favorite character in Breaking Bad. I wanted him to win, even though he was killing kind of innocent people and poisoning children. And I wanted him to get away with what he was, what he was trying to do.
1: Yeah, like a picturesque hero kind of kind of thing. It's it's a situation where they put us in that we have we, we really feel compelled to to root for these people even though the stuff that they do can be pretty terrible.
0: Yeah, hero anti-hero. It's it's somebody you pull for, it's cool. All right, Michelle, all my exes live in Texas. <laughs> Cameron goes to visit Boz at his uh house with Diane, Diane's house, I guess. <laughs> Boz is in the driveway with his boat, his boat, senior vice president of sales, S A I L S.
1: That's just great.
0: Um she surprises him and he uh she kinda pops her head up. That was cool while he's in in the boat. In the sad ass little boat in the driveway, not even in the water, drinking a beer. Um but he talks Why haven't
1: they gotten Bo- Boz to come back?
0: He's retired.
1: I know, but, I mean, Boz doesn't want to retire, does he?
0: Sounds like he does.
1: Uh, Maybe.
0: He talks about sailing that boat around Angel Island and Golden Gate and getting scratch up my gel coat (laughs) because paint's all scratched on the boat and he's worried about that. So that's all he's worried about is paint, his boat getting scratched up. Yeah. You're right. I mean, I'd love to see Boz come back. But if this was the ending that they thought they were leaving us with, then they were having Boz kind of happy in retirement.
1: Well, that's a great point. Yeah.
0: Or moderately unhappy in retirement, whatever. But in retirement.
1: So where did Boz get the boat money?
0: He's married to a freaking millionaire. What are you talking about?
1: Well, they're not married.
0: Well, whatever. He's a kept man.
1: Is that what he is? Okay.
0: You don't think Diane would buy Boz a boat?
1: Yeah, I think she would actually. I was just, I didn't think about her buying him a boat. I was thinking about him selling mutiny, you know, his stock in mutiny. But we figured out that didn't work, so it just kind of got
0: some money out of that. I mean, I don't think it made him any. It didn't make anybody rich. It wasn't. It wasn't that
1: big a boat.
0: Yeah, right. I, you know, I don't know. He's like, but Boz is funny. He's like. Whose house do you think this is behind? Like, you know, you know, it's all Diane's money.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, too.
0: (laughs) Cameron asks, how is Diane? And Boss says, she goes to work. I stay retired. I took her to Texas and she loved the rodeo and hated everything else. As a matter of fact, I think she hated the rodeo, too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty funny. But she's warned him before. She didn't think much of Texas.
0: So uh, Boz asked Cameron about Tom and kids. Are you gonna have kids someday? And Cameron answers with and an- some answer about vending machines and edible underwear. Like I get well, everything- yeah. I don't need kids, not- I get everything I need from a vending machine.
1: Yeah, they're they're not that's that's a crack. She's you know, we don't know what's going on with her and Tom in Tokyo. We don't know if they're happy and funny and they have a great time. We don't know anything about that. They haven't shown her in Tokyo at all with Tom, and it's been four years. But this is a crack that that she admits to Boz that Tom wants kids, but she's not even considering it at this point. And that's a that's a that's potentially a problem.
0: Boz is impressed by Donna's idea, or at least she's told him that it's a hot idea. He says, Donna says it's a pretty hot idea. And Cameron says, fool me twice. And here's where Boz interjects his total, his profound wisdom. He says, is that what happened? You got fooled? So he he forces Cameron to look at herself and see what she's really saying and understand what she's really thinking. And to reconsider, like, is that what you really mean? You really got fooled? And I love that about Boz, making her face this truth of her within herself.
1: He's always been so great at that with Cameron. He's done that since, well, I mean, even when she went to work for Cardiff, it was like he and Cameron had like this special kind of, I mean, not at the very beginning, but pretty soon afterward. And then when she picked him up from prison, when he got out of prison, their their relationship was so good, and then it went so bad in the last episode that I was very glad to see them reconnect, and I was very glad that Cameron did go there.
0: Well, he says that to her, and she says to almost self-defendingly, I also have my own thing going on, and Boz, like, starts to mock her, like, lovingly mock her, like, oh, yeah, space bike, I've tried it. Like it's a stupid game. Come on, Cameron. You've got way more to offer than that.
1: And she does, right?
0: Yeah, of course.
1: So I think he's kind of telling her that, but in the nicest way possible.
0: Her space bike project is a is a result of her being married to Tom, not really happy, wanting to go off on her own into outer space and Earth space, whatever, just to have her own pathway. And not all these people that demand things of her, I think. And that's, and she's still doing that. And Bosworth is smart enough to say, if you're still doing this, you're not really doing what you should be doing.
1: Well, I think that's part of it. But I also think that Cameron is a games person. That's been Cameron's thing. That's what she started doing, it's what she loved doing. She's really good at other things too. But she is a games person. And I think Boz is kind of telling her, remember that 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 you're more than just games
0: well i think she started out as a games person i think she's more of a community person she used to love getting on the phone with people and kind of clue them in i'm like well how do i get around this boulder she would kind of give them hints and she seemed to like that talking to the people that liked her games
1: right and Right.
0: and meeting them and stuff and i think that's what she really thrives on
1: yeah, yeah, she did. And she also liked how much people liked her games. They even showed that at the beginning of episode nine when she was signing, signing the games or whatever she was signing with everybody and the girls who came up and they were so complimentary to her and she was so excited for that. It's almost like she's surprised every time that people like her games and she really appreciates the appreciation for her work. But she is better than that. She's better than, you know, just games. She's too smart.
0: So the next scene, Michelle's at Gordon's house. Now, was this Gordon and Donna's house, or is this a totally different house?
1: It was the same house, I believe. The okay. same stair stairway and stuff. Although I didn't see the ham closet radio, or the ham radio closet thing that was there before. But, well, um... But, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the same house.
0: Donna shows up looking for Haley's retainer, and uh, Gordon goes up to get it and says, hey, open up a bottle of wine, you know where it is. And they start to drink wine and get f- drunk and friendly with each other.
1: Yeah, where where was Haley if she was in there getting her retainer?
0: A lot of people are talking about that. Haley is the missing daughter that no one pays attention to.
1: Yeah, yeah really? I mean, because she's like, what, 10 now, 12? And she comes there to get her retainer, and presumably because she's with her, and then Donna just kind of hangs out and leaves her. That was she's probably smoking sick.
0: cigarettes out in the car. I don't know.
1: Well, maybe, yeah.
0: So they do talk about their disgusting daughter's habits, Michelle. Um, do you have any interesting stories about your daughter's disgusting habits?
1: Um, My daughter's have never been particularly disgusting with stuff like that, but, but they have done things. I've caught them like with um, like ready whip, the whipped cream stuff, like sh- squirting that directly in their mouth and Hershey's. stuff like that. Hershey syrup. Yeah. Hershey syrup.
0: Yeah. See, that's not that disgusting. So even, even, even Donna or Gordon or whoever was talking about it, they were putting milk and then Hershey syrup in their mouth that that's not that bad.
1: <laughs> um yeah it's it's not that bad but i mean if you're doing it straight out of a container that's kind of germy
0: so donna reveals the secret of the meeting she's gordon says you've awoken the beast of joe mcmillan and donna says it was my way of getting cameron to come but it didn't work i had to go get her myself and even that didn't lo- doesn't look like it worked uh and gordon says you tried what else could you have done And then they're getting pretty drunk here, and they start making jokes about other people. So Donna says, I could always go to Tokyo and pitch a terrible video game to Tom. So she thinks uh, Cameron's game is really stupid and terrible. And it probably is, Michelle, if you think about it. That looks really stupid.
1: Yeah, but I'm... Okay, I didn't take that at all. I didn't take that she thinks Cameron's... First of all, Cameron's working for Atari, and Tom is working for Sega, right? So... I don't think it was really about Cameron's game. I think they were just talking about some way that, because that's what Tom does, right? He gets pitched games, and then he decides if he's going to do them or not. Um, That's kind of how he made it sound. So I think she was just saying that would be a way to get close to Cameron. I didn't necessarily take it at all, that she was saying anything bad and it and it couldn't have been bad. I mean Cameron's game is successful. They flew her from Tokyo to Comdex and Vegas and gave her like a booth. So I mean it's it's a pretty big deal. I think her game is a big deal. I just don't think it encompasses what she's capable of. Yeah,
0: but a lot of stupid stuff is good it sells well.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't know. It looks kinda stupid the riding a motorcycle around outer space.
1: And plus, this is, like, number four, though. Right? Well, yeah, it does. It looks ridiculous. But it's 1990. And this is Space Girl 4. So.
0: <laughs> well, you're probably <laughs> right. She's making fun of Tom. I mean, she, they're they're picking on Tom here. Because like, Gordon says, Tom's too important to take a meeting like that. Um, and then. If they come back tomorrow, I have this idea for a video game. You have to shit on all the ideas. So he's, they're making fun of Tom just being a, an ass and crapping up all their all their ideas in their real meeting.
1: And he wasn't even invited. We have to say that again. This had nothing to do with Tom. And I know he's married to Cameron, but, I mean, this had nothing to do with him. So. so and he's just like a Budinsky, right?
0: A Budinsky? Yeah. He's well,
1: buttoning into everything. He's
0: protecting his lady.
1: Is that what he's doing?
0: Yeah. He's like he's like, convince, trying to convince Cameron in front of all these people that their their, their ideas are silly and they better get, just get the hell out of there and get back to Japan.
1: Yeah, I don't think he's protecting her. I think he's protecting himself right. and holding her back.
0: He's trying to isolate her, right, from, yes. from them. Yes. So Gordon apologizes apologizes for having called Donna a money person. And Donna says, well, it's true. Maybe this whole thing was a mistake. I think that kind of means that maybe I should just stay with Diane and be the money person and not the inventor of the products for the World Wide Web.
1: Well, yeah. And, I mean, could you even blame her for feeling that way at this point? And I'm not sure that that's not a good idea for her anyway, considering how things turn out
0: Well, Joe wouldn't feel that way.
1: Well, that's true. Yeah.
0: Gordon does encourage her though. He says, well, even if no one shows up tomorrow, I'm interested. And then they have this cute little conversation about how much sex are you having Gordon? And then he asks her how much sex she's having.
1: And both of them are lying. I think, <laughs> I think they're both just, um, you know, bragging a little,
0: trying to not look desperate. Right. Well, Donna's clearly reaching out to Gordon, like, "Hey, how would you, you know? Let's connect. Let's be close." And then he tries to set her up with a date that looks really cute and clever, like, "Oh, how about I set you up with this really hot guy? That's like computer guy, and you know, he's kind of neat, nerdy, and geeky." And she clearly hopes it's him, and then yeah. figures out he's serious. He's trying to set her up with another guy.
1: That's and, just really crossing a line, right? Don't you think? It's a
0: weird line. Um, yeah. I said, I thought it was because Gordon doesn't want Donna to become close to him. And he's this is his protection.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think he's that that well thought out in this. I think he is just completely clueless. I don't think he has any clue that she's flirting with him. I don't think she he has any clue that that when she's asking him this, that she's trying to get personal on that level. It's just like he's just clueless. And so he brings up some... Your ex-husband, the father of your children, is going to set you up with somebody?
0: Well, don't you think that he's not interested in her?
1: I thought he wasn't. I did think he wasn't. I, I thought he wasn't ever since the camping conversation. But the next day after this, I think... He's messed up a little bit when she, kind of takes him up on that offer. So well, I don't know he's, what
0: to think. If he's truly not interested in her, then this is a, a, this is an effective thing for him to do to keep her away from him. I'll turn. But, I'll, t- I'll totally throw cold water on you by trying to set you up with another guy. I mean, and how, if
1: he were doing that, I, yeah, absolutely. You're you're hundred percent right. If that's what he were doing, but. I don't believe that's what he was doing. I don't think he was even thinking about it like that. I think he had had a little bit of wine, and Donna's saying, oh, I'm not seeing anybody right now, and he just thinks, oh, I know somebody you'd like to see. Do, do, do. I'll figure, you know.
0: So why isn't he interested in her?
1: I think he actually is, but he just didn't.
0: Uh. I didn't.
1: Well, I didn't think so there, but the next day, I think, I just think he didn't get her clues.
0: (laughs) All right. All right. Well, you'll have your moment in court pretty soon, Michelle.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: All right. Cameron's at her hotel. Tom's reading on the computer, on her computer. Eventually, we're going to find out he's reading her emails on her computer. And they're going to go back tomorrow. And uh, Cameron says, I'm going back to that meeting tomorrow. And Tom says, well, if you're going, I'm going, too not letting her go back to that Joe McMillan without him by her side.
1: Now he says, right, right. But he says he's finishing a presentation and his battery died. And then he gets up and goes to the shower and she opens his computer and the battery is blinking.
0: Yeah, that wasn't very clear. I was supposed to clarify okay. like, Oh, Joe's lying or Tom's lying. Cause his battery's fine. But it almost makes you think cause it's blinking. It's about to run out.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I wasn't sure exactly what they were trying to say with that.
0: And it was so long ago that I don't remember if stuff. Usually, blinking red means danger. It's about to close right. down. Not right. everything's fine. I mean, if it was glowing green, it would be different. But
1: right. Or even charging. You know, blinking charging. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm just miserably uncomfortable. The first time I watched this, at this point, with the whole Tom, Joe, Cameron thing. And I didn't believe for 10 seconds that that's why he was on her computer.
0: Well, back at the the office, at the mutiny office, Joe has written out on the whiteboard the whole developer's code for the web browser. And I don't know why. He's not going to, like, so what? It's all real small. I can't even read it.
1: Yeah, but he does it. Donna makes a point that he wants five minutes. And I think that was the point of it is that he can write this whole code in five minutes and on a whiteboard. Yeah, that's
0: a good point that the whole thing, the whole magic key is right here on this little space. This is right. it, And it's free right. and it's right in our hands. Probably right. Yeah, this is how quick I can do it. I can write it all out right here in front of you. Um, so Gordon does apologize to Donna and says, I hope I didn't say anything dumb last night. Doop to do or whatever yeah. you add and Donna yeah. says I'd love to have his number unless it's weird. So she kind of, she kind of rubs. Calls
1: it. him. Yeah, she calls, calls him death. on it. And I was so happy. I, I wrote down in big capital letters. Good for her. Well, if he doesn't
0: know what it. he's doing, how is she calling him on anything? If he's just a doofus.
1: Well, because you can't be that much of a doofus. I mean, you have to learn some way, and. It was like he learned, right, because she called him on it and he was very uncomfortable, kind of, in the light of day. He's like, oh, uh, well, okay. You know, maybe he wanted her to say, no, Gordon, I don't want to be set up with a friend of yours, you know, the night before. I don't know, but he's just so goofy and so out of touch with what's going on that it's hard to— have a lot of sympathy for him at this point. Do you think there
0: really was a guy somewhere, some engineer that he could set her up with? Or do you think he was just being a a doofus and trying to be funny? No,
1: I think that he was just sitting there drinking and he wasn't, you know, he was trying to be maybe a good guy and not taking any clue from her. And because he was drinking, um, he didn't really think it through to say that. And so he said right, it and it kind of They were kidding
0: around, though. They weren't going to really go to Japan and, pr- and propose a game to Tom. It was all kind of, let's throw funny things out in front of each other. I, I don't know. It's not It's not that important, but it's, it's just a curiosity.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, her saying the next day, you know, he saying, okay, I'll take his number. And he didn't say, well, there's really no such person. I was just... Just messing with you, but he was definitely uncomfortable with it. The next day, he was kind of shocked that Donna would would actually want that when when the 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 niceness, the warmness of that wine had worn off. I think. He well, kind of Gordon's
0: a pretty much an alcoholic too, because he always does things that he, where he can't remember. He says, "I hope I didn't say anything dumb. Like I I can't even remember what I said. I hope I didn't say anything stupid last night." I, I don't know I, it's, it's, it's kind of ominous too that he doesn't remember what they talked about
1: yeah I didn't take it so much as he's an alcoholic I just took it more like he hopes that in the course of his drinking that he didn't come across some way that was insensitive but because I, mean, you, I don't remember
0: everything I said
1: <laughs> well yeah, yeah he
0: is an alcoholic remember all the beer he was drinking in, in season one and he was like Getting in trouble, getting thrown in jail, and that's not... A, yeah, you're right.
1: You're uh, right, I'd forgotten about that. It's not that important,
0: that. but it's, it's kind, of, kind of weird that they keep that part of his character alive.
1: Yeah, I had completely forgotten about that. You're right.
0: All right, so Joe is at the board. Says, all right, you're all here. Let's get started. Berners-Lee wrote HTML so you and I can, and any of us can edit the web, HTTP, so it can talk to itself. And it can be a symphony or it can be cacophonous. what's that word cacophony
1: (laughs) i don't know or it can be a cacophony
0: like a like a jumbled series of noise right but what will it become it's a waste of time to try to figure out the answer to that let's take a step back and how did we get into this room we came through a door and this on this whiteboard this is a door to the web the moment we try to decide what it is or tell people what to do with it, we've lost. All we have to do is build the door and let them inside, and, th- and they'll figure out the rest of it.
1: And wasn't that just the greatest explanation? It was so good. And then he goes into his Holland Tunnel story.
0: Yeah, I, just I like that.
1: loved it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, that was Ellen Seppenwald's analogy to Don Draper and his carousel thing from Mad Men.
1: So, yeah, yeah.
0: Joe remembers going through the Holland Tunnel as a little kid and arriving through on the other side to an explosion of Manhattan sunlight and the giant buildings. And you've like arrived like and it's, and it's all of a sudden it hits you. But this tunnel takes you to this magnificent place. And uh, and
1: from there, you can go anywhere. Once you're through the tunnel, you can go to any of these great places once you come out of this tunnel. And I just thought it was perfect.
0: Right. So it's the the opportunity. It's not even the stuff, like it's not the bore through the rock that's called the tunnel. It's the chance that you have to emerge through it and arrive somewhere else where all this fantastic opportunity awaits you.
1: Right. And it's kind of like what Joe and Ryan were talking about, right? The thing that gets you to the thing. It's not the thing. It's what gets you to the thing. But they were kind of I mean, I think it was even more obscure four years ago, but now they're kind of pinpointing it.
0: Yeah, Joe said it without Ryan way back in the season one. This isn't about the thing. It's about the thing that gets you to the thing.
1: Oh, okay. Was it back then? Yeah, yeah. it was
0: way, way back. Not the computer. Okay. It's what the computer gets you to.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Um, so, and then that was kind of Don Draper's point. Alan Steppenwald made this analogy with Don Draper in the carousel. Mm-hmm. And Mad Men, it's not the thing that spins around and shows off your slides. It's the feelings you get by reliving the memories of the pictures that are in the carousel. Right. And it goes around and around and it brings you back to your childhood or your happy day at the picnic, at the park, or whatever. It's, it's not the thing, it's the thing that takes you to the other thing the thought, right. the memory, the right. web, whatever. Um, That's just
1: great. I loved that. I loved everything about that that Joe was saying.
0: So one other note I have, Michelle, on the CERN research group that's this physics guy, these physics people from Switzerland and Europe that are doing nuclear physics research is that one of the people associated with that was Warner Heisenberg. And he's a physicist who created much of the nuclear theory used in the nuclear problems and things they were studying at the CERN conference. And, of course, Warner Heisenberg is the Heisenberg that Walter White took the namesake from to be... Uh, his evil, anti-whatever, his alternate ego.
1: Isn't that just the coolest thing ever? How they how they interconnect all these great shows with stuff like that? How they use these real historical uh, people to, I don't know, just to like weave this tale. I love it.
0: Right. Well, they didn't, in Hall and Catch Fire, they don't mention Warner Heisenberg. That's just a true thing, that he was yeah. involved with the nu- nuclear... I mean, you had to you had to dig a little bit on your own to find that out.
1: Well, luckily, I've got you to <laughs> to do that.
0: <laughs> um, but they start to get it as Joe goes through this Manhattan sunlight tunnel, Holland Tunnel, seeing Manhattan at the other end. They start to get it. You can see they're sitting up straighter in their chairs, and their faces brighten, and they start to finish each other's uh, thoughts on this, and. I don't know what Joe says, but Donna interrupts and says, online research catalog. Gordon says running on next. And Cameron says on a server from Europe. So they all kind of get it, all clicks into place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Their eyes are all lit up as soon as it, it hits them all at the same time. And I think it kind of, I mean, of course we're seeing it with, with 2020 here, but, but, they all get it at the same time, and even I could understand what he was saying at that point as far as what he was getting at, and it was just perfect.
0: And Joe punctuates it at the end of Cameron's unserved to Europe. We can build this door for everyone. It's the Holland Tunnel, and they all kind of shine. there like, ah, oh, cool, and then Tom pipes up. Michelle, he says, I don't see it. Is it a door or a tunnel? You can't even decide on a metaphor. Uh, it's it's pretty bad how he just shits all over everything.
1: It really is. That was really bad.
0: Joe kind of goes ahead without even acknowledging that and says, with the people in this room, we can. And Tom interrupts him. What makes you think you have all the people in this room on your side? Come on, Cameron, let's go. But she doesn't go, Michelle. She sits and pauses for an, a long second. And uh, Joe, Joe puts it on the table. He says, let's cut the bullshit. Your problem isn't the code. And Tom says, I don't want to see anyone else end up like Ryan. He, like, finds the nerve ending right to Joe's most intimate feeling. And they start to wrestle and fight, and they break through the And that floor. wasn't
1: honest either, right? I mean, let's, let's just talk about that for a minute. That, that wasn't Tom's problem. Tom had said he didn't know Ryan. That wasn't Tom's problem with Joe. He was being very disingenuous with that remark. It was just something said just to hurt Joe. He just didn't like... He didn't want Cameron to work with Joe. And that's it.
0: Yeah. He's doing all this to keep Cameron isolated from Joe. Right. So they end up fighting. They fall through the floor and Joe breaks his arm. Yeah. And they end up in the hospital. Uh, Something happens in the hospital. What did you remember? I can't remember what you said.
1: Well... Joe, we don't even know if Joe's like dead or alive or whatever, but Joe comes walking out from the back in this next scene and Gordon's sitting in the waiting room. Gordon went with him and he's like the only one there. Everybody else is still back at the mutiny, the old mutiny office. And um, Joe is just happy. I think you mentioned it before where Donna said something about, you know, brought Joe back to life. And I mean, Joe is, he is, he's back to life. We talked about how, in episode nine, everything was dark and his, he, he, he was a sad, like lonely character and he's back to life. And Gordon goes into the, I think we're early thing and everything. And Joe says that he cannot let this one get away. And Gordon says, then don't. And again, I don't think he's just talking about the, the WWW idea. I think he's talking about this shot at life. He does not want to let this get away. I think he's had all this mourning time and this reflection time, this four years since what happened with Ryan. And I think he just wants a life now.
0: Do you think that Joe is totally free from his fear of AIDS at this point?
1: Oh, yeah, I think so.
0: And do you think Gordon, Gordon's statement might be might be tainted or affected by the fact that he knows something serious is going on with him? like go oh. for it go for it cuz you don't know what time you have left
1: okay that's a great point probably probably although gordon is super encouraging um and discouraging at the same time you know he just told donna i'm i'm in and um but he's telling everybody i think it's too early but but i'm in that's a great point though mike i really do think that as as this Last episode progresses that Gordon is seeing the time thing. And they're showing it to us, too, with Gordon definitely going downhill physically. So that's that's a great
0: Well, they make Gordon such an idiot and a genius at the same time, like in <laughs> one scene apart from being so stupid and un- unaware of what's going on around him. And then he's so intimately aware of everything that telling Joe just what he needs to hear right at the time he needs to hear it.
1: Yeah, you just never know what you're going to get from Gordon. You never know, are you going to get goofy Gordon? Are you going to get spiteful Gordon? Are you going to get um, disinterested Gordon? Are you going to get the Gordon who's negative? Are you going to get the Gordon who really appreciates the ideas and is positive? You never know what you're going to get out of him, but I think they made him much more likable in these I mean, he's he's a doofus, but he's a very likable doofus. I think in these last two episodes, compared to how he's been this whole season, almost.
0: So, if there's anything wrong with this episode, there's too much Tom in it. Because Tom and Cameron are in the next scene. Michelle, he asks her what happened at Comdex, and she says nothing, which is a pretty pretty blatant lie. And then he leaves, and Donna comes in and talks to Cameron, and Donna asks if she's okay. Are you okay? And Cameron kind of reflects, kind of thinks out loud, that it's so easy to make Joe the bad guy. It takes the blame away. But I deserve some of the blame, too. The same with you. Things fell apart. But you did what you did. But a lot of this was my fault. And this is a really cool idea, this internet meeting you got us all together for.
1: And I loved that about Cameron. And you've not heard me say that much since season one episode one but i really like that about her how she was taking some responsibility for some of the stuff that's went on and i think you mentioned it in the last episode how much more attractive she is uh behaving as an adult a little more
0: yeah for sure so this is where Donna puts her foot in her mouth. She says on the right on the heels of this statement by Cameron, she says, I think it's a great idea too, and if you think Joe's the problem, we can get rid of him. So Cameron's going to remember that.
1: And see, we've just seen her talk about how Joe has come back to life. She just made that statement with Gordon or something to that effect. And I made a note here how horrible— That was. I had no idea the ramifications that were going to come out of that, but what a horrible thing to say to take Joe, who she didn't mind inconveniencing, to take this idea to Cameron and then just, you know, get him in there and he's the one who made the Holland Tunnel reference and he's the one who brought it to life in everybody's eyes and he's the one that's gotten everybody to see this vision and then she's so willing to cut him out.
0: Yeah. It's it's really it's interesting when you see people do that about other people, how it can really turn you off. Like they don't even have to do it to you. You can just see that they're like that as people. Like yeah. she's mean to somebody else that I don't even know. It you don't even have to know the third party. It could be a third party. And Absolutely still turn you off.
1: Absolutely. And and the fact that Cameron loves the third party. Of course Donna doesn't know that, I don't think, but
0: yeah, Donna wouldn't – it's a total – it's a miscalculation here, just thinking that Cameron might not even like Joe. Right. But it's a huge miscalculation if she thinks she loves him. Right. Um, right. All right, Gordon and Cameron now are making that next computer station work, Michelle. It's that $7,000 Steve Jobs computer made out of magnesium. It's <laughs> shaped like a cube. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays some music on it, and then he's
1: – It's Donna and Gordon. Oh,
0: sorry, Donna. Gordon.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then they connected up to the CERN or they're about to connect to CERN over in Europe.
1: Okay. What about, wait, wait, wait. What about the song that's playing there? Do you think any of those have any kind of meaning to what's going on? Probably. Because that was, um, oh, who is it? I'll get over you. I know I will. You know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah. I don't know that song.
1: Yeah, you do. Yeah, I'm not singing it because I don't hate myself, but um, I'll pretend this ship's not sinking. Yeah, oh, I didn't. the king of wishful thinking or something. You know the song. I know you know this song, Mike. You know every song. You know this. Song.
0: I didn't rem- I didn't catch it when they played it.
1: Yeah, that's what they were playing, and um, and Gordon's, you know, doing his little cute, corny singing thing right there. And I just wondered if that might have something to do with. Donna's feelings for him, his feelings for Donna. I don't know.
0: You know, that reminds me of something, Michelle. At the end of 208, I put in the clashes lost in the supermarket when Donna mm-hmm. and Cameron waved to each other. Right. I'm all lost in a supermarket. And nobody said anything about that. I thought that was a pretty cool song that would—that was probably about that time in real life. And nobody made even a comment about that. Hmm. I don't, I don't know. I thought she was lost in the supermarket. Donna was shopping, yeah. not really know what knowing what she was going to do next. Cameron was away from Tom buying stuff that Japan wouldn't have. I don't know. I should be working for the show picking some of the music out.
1: Well, you definitely definitely <laughs> should.
0: Cuz I would have picked a song. I would have picked a song that people remember, not a one like I didn't even notice. Like this time, this one.
1: Oh, I, I but I noticed.
0: Okay, but you can't tell us what it is
1: Um, King of Wishful Thinking Okay You know the song, Mike I'm going to send it to you All
0: right. so they're working on the computer He plays the music And he says uh, Now it's going to be slow going over to Europe Because the sharks nibble on the cable When the signal goes through it And Donna just totally loves this Like, you're so smart and nerdy
1: yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're charming and you're cute and, and and he's fun. He's fun. That's fun, Gordon.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of poignant that they're not together anymore and she still wants to be introduced to him as the date. She wants to have sex and drink wine and be funny and cute. And he's just not into it anymore with her.
1: Well, I just I don't know that I don't know that he's picking up on the cues.
0: I don't think he wants to be. I don't think he's that interested.
1: He may not be. Because
0: you don't need cues if you're interested. You're interested. You don't need cues.
1: Yeah, I I guess.
0: Most guys are idiot lunkheads that go for it when they don't have cues. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Look at Donald
0: Trump. Hello? Is this thing still on? (laughs) 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 I'm showing you like a Donald Trump fan. (laughs) Anyway, they drop off, uh, Tom drops off Cameron at Mutiny House, and he's leaving to go recalibrate. And uh, Tom says, I'm sorry, I didn't trust you. He's in m- apology mode now. I didn't trust, sorry, I didn't trust you. I don't like who I, I don't like who I've been this weekend. And Cameron just tries to slough it off and get out of this, I think. She says, oh, it's okay, it's been weird for me too. And Tom says, I can't get jawed on my head, and I read your emails yeah. They tell each other that they love each other. I love you. I love you. And Joe drives up right in the midst of this, which was kind of funny I thought.
1: Yeah, as she's saying that, Joe pulls up and you see him right beside with the windows her. down. Yes. Like yeah, right, right, right in the top. giant yes. in the
0: giant yard <laughs> right next to them. Yep. Uh, Joe drives up and Tom tries to apologize and then shake his hand, but it's in the cast and Joe's like face. I'm not shaking hands with you. Yeah. Uh, and then there's more. I love yous, And then they're done. They part part ways.
1: Yeah. But they're, they're kissing and stuff and Joe's watching Joe's standing up on the steps and he turns around and he watches.
0: He's not worried about Tom,
1: but that's her husband.
0: He's not worried about Tom. Okay. So Cameron goes right up to Donna I cannot work with you anymore It'll never be like it was I wanted us to meet here because I didn't want to forget What happened here before You reminded me of how easily you toss people aside When things don't go your way And Donna says I was trying to help you And Cameron says I love this project and I want to work on it And Donna says take it And she leaves Tearfully
1: was cameron so dishonest with tom but then so honest with donna
0: well can you think of anyone in here no matter how likable or unlikable who's completely honest except for maybe boz might be completely honest but they all have is honest they all have shades of good and bad in them
1: yeah, good and bad, but, I mean, that's not the same thing as honest and dishonest, right? I mean, I think Joe's honest, don't you?
0: Yeah, but until he needs something and he uses people or he used to use people.
1: Yeah, but he didn't lie. Well, I guess he did. I guess he lied. Um,
0: He's I was... told many lies in this.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Cameron, though, lying to Tom like that even after he like confessed and he's feeling bad and hey i did this and i don't want to feel this way and i think i overreacted and i don't know what's going on with me and i don't want to be this person and for her to sit there and let him do that and then not not tell him the truth and let
0: him yeah I, okay it's I'm, bad. Not, I'm not married but i don't think there's any magic spell to marriage that makes everything close and better and tighter and like oh you can't lie to me because we're married and they're just people And she's got weaknesses, and she wants to just get free of having to answer him. She doesn't want to be that honest with him.
1: I don't think there's a magic spell to being married. And, I mean, I am married. But I do think that there's – you, the person that you're married to – You've got to, that has to be like the, the gauge, right? I mean, you've got to at least be an honest person with this person, with this person that you've kind of, you know, like devoted yourself to. I mean, don't you think there's some kind of gauge to that? By
0: Well, haven't you seen lovers in shows that are close and probably in real life too, where lovers that are not married that are closer than people that have been married 50 years they're not as close as the other people that are just close. You know, marriage is no special magic thing. I don't think.
1: But it's a promise. You know, you're right. It doesn't necessarily convey any magical powers, but it's a promise to that person. And and I think that it can't kind of, you. You don't see the whole fifty years that somebody's married to somebody, but you may see like like the, you know, three weeks or the six months that these lovers are together as this really tight, close relationship. But you don't see the whole 50 years. I mean, that's how relationships are, I think. I think that they ebb and they flow and all that. But... Not even talking about all that. I just think that it's like a gauge. And and you've got to at least, if you're going to be like an an honest part, you've got to be honest with this person, particularly if this person's kind of bearing their soul to you about, hey, I did this and I'm really sorry and this is not who I want to be. And this whole time she knows that he's doing this because of her actions, her and Joe's actions, and he can feel this. And she lets him feel that way, and that is a really crappy thing for her to do. It's really bad, and I don't care what her relationship is with Tom. I don't care if they're close. Tom is trying with her, and she owes him, in my opinion. She owes him
0: but Joe, Joe job. is more important to Cameron than Tom. Then and,
1: she should tell Tom. That well,
0: she should do a lot of things. A yeah, good but,
1: person. Then she would tell Tom that.
0: Well, but she doesn't. That's I mean, what I don't Maybe want. it illuminates how much. And their marriage is pretty much a farce. We, I mean, I don't know who would not agree with that. Um, but I think maybe this illuminates that that their marriage is kind of a it's kind of a friendship more than a marriage. And they've been there for four years together now. But it's kind of a – I think it's kind of a lark to Cameron. It's not really – when people think of a marriage as a commitment and all the stuff you're talking about, she doesn't observe those things. So that tells me that she doesn't view this as importantly as she probably should. She's more interested in Joe than she is in Tom.
1: She is. And we've said this ever since she first got with him when they got married and she went to see Joe that night. And I completely agree with you. I just think that it says a whole lot more about Cameron as a person than it says about Cameron and Tom's marriage that she's not honest with Tom. I, I, I have really strong feelings about her dishonesty with him, with, with his angst over his behavior because he can feel this dishonesty. So I just really, you you know, and I I like Cameron more now, and I think she's, just like you said, I think she's much more beautiful as she's more mature, and, and everything about it, I love her growth and everything, and I cannot even believe I'm saying these words about Cameron, but I really dislike that, and I think it says a lot about her still. Even though it's just like we talked about before, I mean, you can't help pulling for her and Joe. This chemistry and everything that they have is so strong. But I really wish she hadn't done Tom that way.
0: Well, so so Cameron says, I love this project. I want to work on it. Donna says, take it. And she storms off. And Donna then calls somebody and asks for a flight to Switzerland and a meeting with CERN. So she's going right to these people and who knows what, investigate their internet, investigate their... Ideas, take them all out or, with a machine gun. Who knows? Or
1: or, or, or I don't think that necessarily. But, but, but maybe to offer this to them, maybe to create a, uh, you know, maybe to get it done first. And didn't you say that it was first done? Did you say that earlier? Because I was trying to keep note of that, and I wasn't sure if I got it right or not. That it was first done in Europe. Is that correct?
0: Well, this, the guy that did it did it because he was part of, He was a worker. He was a contractor to the CERN group, and he's like, oh, you guys need help getting your data all together and sharing information? Here, let me help you do that. I'll write this little code that allows you to share your documents from all over Europe, and that noted together, that linked up these computers in Europe. And then, then he kind of realized, like, wait, holy cow, I just connected all these people together. Other people in the world might want this. So that's the code of how he did that. The secret key that Joe wrote on the whiteboard, that's the code that he has now in his hand.
1: Okay. But as far as like actually getting the the web together, do we know where that originated?
0: Yeah, that was it. And Tim Berners-Lee was the Londonite guy in Europe that was a member of this CERN contractor. And he wrote the secret code that got these things to connect. And if you connect, can connect 12 computers together. You can connect 12 million computers together.
1: I guess I'm just wondering if Donna is going to succeed, If assuming that's what she's doing, is creating a rival team to try to beat this mutiny uh, new team
0: to well, the punch, so to speak. If she's going to CERN, she's not going there to offer them anything because they already have what they have. They already have this. So she's not going to them and saying, "Hey, I got an idea. Oh, why don't you make this internet thing that you could all connect with?" That they've already done that. What she's going there to, probably going there to do is to learn herself exactly or to meet the guy. Maybe she'll go end up meeting Berners-Lee in Europe and meet him and say, "Hey, teach me about what you're doing here because I want to create a company that where we can blow this up into the whole world."
1: Well, Remember, they even talked about it um, at one of the meetings that they were at about other people could do this, too, but it wouldn't matter, kind of, so to speak, that they would be first or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why Joe went there. Joe went there not to see the physics conference of nuclear scientists. He went there to see, because he read somewhere in the industry, of computing, He read about how they've networked their machines together, and that was his interest, and that's how he found out about it. So she's probably thinking, oh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to find out about it, and maybe I can get – maybe I'll connect up with this guy who knows how to do it and maybe talk him into partnering with me to do it. But, but she's not going there to sell them anything or to talk them into anything. That it's just they're the, they were the test bed for this Berners-Lee's idea.
1: But she's got to be going there to try to get something else going to thwart or to beat, uh, yeah, Joe and them and Gordon and Cameron to the punch, right? Yeah,
0: she may be going there to say to Burnersley, "Don't give this away for free. Let license. Let me license it from you, and that way I I own it." <laughs> you know, but who knows? She's going there for a for a selfish reason, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so too. The way she kind of straightened herself up and everything, I think so too.
0: You know, Bill Bill, Bill, Doss, Bill, um, Bill Gates from Microsoft did that. He Somebody else wrote MS-DOS, and he licensed it for $50,000, so he kind of owned the rights to it. And that's how he started Windows, with that licensing rights to MS-DOS that some totally other else, I don't even know who did it, some other sh- schlub in 1976. Really? <laughs> yeah, he just made the deal to own the rights to it. Wow. So, so that's interesting. That maybe is something that Donna's after with
1: I didn't know that. But
0: the, but the web, that didn't happen with the web. The web was kind of free. You know, maybe Mosaic or something. So whoever wrote the first internet browser, that became a product.
1: Can you imagine if this had ended there? What do you mean? If this had been the end, if they had not been renewed?
0: It would have worked.
1: Yeah, Donna was like the the question. I think we know that Cameron and Joe and Gordon are going to succeed in what they're doing one way or another. But um, the question with Donna, that would have been a big question in my mind.
0: What she was up to? Yeah. Well, you'll probably find out, Michelle.
1: I know. I'm so excited. I just wonder how much they're going to jump ahead.
0: So we're not quite done yet. There's a couple more things here. So Gordon logs into the CERN web browser, logs into CERN with the web browser. And then I think they have Gordon vocalized Joe's thoughts. They're sitting next to each other, but Gordon speaks, and I think these are Joe's thoughts that he speaks. And he says, where's Cameron? You know how long I've been waiting, sitting around these past four years. Maybe this futures bet will pay off after all. Yep. And I think that's what Joe's thinking, even though Gordon speaks it.
1: And that's great. That is that you, you had brought that up earlier and I just think that's brilliant.
0: And this is where Joe says, I'm in love with her to Gordon. And
1: I love <laughs> that. Right. Didn't you love that though?
0: Uh, not as much as you, Michelle.
1: Uh, I know. <laughs> okay. So I then, mean, come on, give me something here. You gotta have something here. Well,
0: The cool shot is cool. They pan back from where they are through the hole in the floor and it's the three. The three original heroes: Joe, Cameron, yep. and Gordon. Yep. No meddling Donna. No hillbilly, Boz. No Diane. No goof troop.
1: I love Boz. I I even miss the goof troop out there. But I don't know. I kind of wish they had gotten Boz back. I understand why they didn't, and I feel. Did you feel bad for Donna?
0: I still like Donna. You know. I, Donna's my Walter White. I'm pulling for her to get to get whatever she's after.
1: I don't know i I think Donna might have you know broken bad in that though I don't think Donna you know it's like she had nothing left to lose anymore. She didn't have Gordon, she never liked Joe. I think you know with Cameron turning against her at the last kind of possible second, I think she just feels like she doesn't have a lot to lose anymore.
0: Do you think – is there any possible way, Michelle, Donna went to Europe to get – to help them, to get something from CERN that would be helpful to them?
1: I would be surprised if that were the case because she seemed so angry and – I think she feels rejected by them, but wouldn't that be a twist She's if it turned hurt. out to be that?
0: She's hurt and angry. So she could be thinking, I'll prove it to these people that I'm not a bad person. I, want, I love this project. I want to work on it. Fine, take it. And then she goes and helps secure it. She goes and helps secure all their future by doing something positive.
1: Well, that's an awful positive way for you to be. She thinking is a about money
0: it. person. You know, she is Diane's protege and she is the money person.
1: She is. She's the venture capitalist who's got this idea. You're right. I don't know.
0: And she does say, take it. She doesn't say, well, fuck you. Good luck with that. She, like, I'm going to take it. She says, take it like you can have it. And I think I've said this before that I thought that almost might be like her fig leaf. Take it. You can have it. I will back away from something I love as much as you love, but you can have it. And then she storms off to maybe maybe either destroy it or bring it closer to them.
1: I'm a little ashamed that I didn't think of that. It didn't even dawn on me that she could be doing something so selfless.
0: It would be an interesting twist.
1: It really would. Because Donna's
0: not evil. She's not evil. She's the most likable person in the world, remember?
1: Yeah, but there's something about that sometimes though right and i i said a few episodes ago that i mean she was willing to literally turn on Cameron she just turned on Joe i i can't make up my mind about Donna i'm,
0: well, maybe I'm not she's, sure maybe she's just clumsy her husband's they're showing that it's possible to over, overlook things that are hurtful to people like i'll throw Joe out if it makes you happy like that's her fig leaf to at the time it was her fig leaf to Cameron. I'll do whatever you want. I'll throw, even throw Joe out. Uh, and maybe she's maybe it takes her a couple times to learn this. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, that, that was a pretty big thing. And I think Cameron was right. She will kind of step on whoever she has to and step over them. And, um,
0: Well, unless she's making a mistake. She made a mistake with Cameron, I think, when they had their fight.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't just the fight, though, Mike. Remember, it was a mistake when she lied to her about Diane. And then it was a mistake when she kind of, well, none of us thought it was, but it ended up being a mistake when she forced the hand to go ahead and go to the IPO, I don't know.
0: Right, but she literally says these words in this last encounter. I was trying to help you. I don't think that that means anything evil. Like, I'm Dr. Evil. I'll do anything. I'll wipe out any enemy you have to help you. It's like she really was trying to help her, and she made a mistake, and she's human. I don't mean. Can you picture ten episodes of Donna versus the three, Magnificent Three, fighting for control of the Internet?
1: Um, no, I don't know. And I'm kind of curious where they're going to take that anyway. How, how far in the future we're going to go with this.
0: I bet we see episode season four, episode one, Donna on a plane, on a cell phone to Diane. Here's what we need to do to get to win this over. It's a great, it's a great plan. It was her plan. It was all her plan to do it. And get these people together she's not going to storm off and say take it and then go fight them i don't know i don't know it might be uh might be interesting to see
1: yeah i mean I'm, i'm definitely excited about it about it coming back on and i'm also excited in a way that there is an end i always hate that but i love it kind of in a way too Because it gives them something that far ahead of time to finish. And these guys are just, I mean, the writing is just phenomenal. So,
0: Christopher Rogers, Christopher Cantwell.
1: Yeah, the Chris's.
0: The The two Chris's, yeah, two Christophers. All right, Michelle, that's it for 309 Next, a whole season three. We're done. So see you next year on Halt and Catch Fire.
1: I'm excited about it.
0: How do people reach you from the West Highlands in the meantime?
1: Um, I am on Twitter at Michelle from TN
0: West Midlands sorry Mr. Beat I guess it's West Midlands <laughs> and I'm at Scathing Tweet so Michelle that's going to do it for Halton Catch Fire we'll catch you up on the next podcast Okay. catch up with you on the next podcast
1: yeah the affair uh, comes on next month
0: so. wow.
1: I know it's Tom right. again I, I, I know that's one of your favorites
0: looking forward to it
1: yeah me too
0: alright see you later
1: Okay, bye-bye.
0: Bye.